Well, if you can track down a Bible, there should be Bibles in the book racks and the chairs in front of you. And if you would, please turn to the book of Proverbs, and we're now in chapter 2. So in the Bibles that we have here, that should be on page uh, 543. Um, We're doing a series right now. Uh, What we're trying to do is we're trying to become wise people, which is what the book of Proverbs is for, but it feels to me like this is such an important thing for us to consider in this season. How could we, the people of God, become wise? And how could we begin to to live in a way that actually reflects the character of God in this world? And so that's our ambition, and we're spending a significant portion of time this year working in that direction, studying Proverbs together, considering how God could help us become wise. So let me read the text, then I'll pray, and we will get to work. This is Proverbs chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It reads like this. My son... If you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He holds success in store for the upright. He is a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. Then you will understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men, from men whose words are perverse, who have left the straight paths to walk in dark ways, who delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil, whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who has left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. Thus you will walk in the ways of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. For the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Let's pray. Lord, as we've opened your word together, we're praying that by your spirit, through your word, you would speak to each of us. We're praying, God, that you would grant us wisdom. We're we're asking, God, that in these moments that you would help us to understand your ways and that you would give us faith and obedience to walk in them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Four things I want to show you here. Wisdom, how to get it, what it does for you, what it protects you from, and why that matters. So, how to get it, what it does for you, what it protects you from, and why that all matters. So first off, in verses 1 to 4, we're told how to get wisdom. Uh, the thing that's surprising to me, if I were to ask any of you, how do you become a wise person? The intuitive answer is, well, you live. You go through life, you have enough experiences, and eventually you start kind of stacking up those experiences, and you become a wise person. I think the intuitive answer to how to become wise ordinarily is you just live life, and eventually you become wise. There was a professor, uh, he's passed 
to glory now, but he was a professor at a college in Texas, and, and uh, I had to read some of his stuff for, for my coursework, but he, he was a fascinating teacher. He wrote this little book called Teaching to Change Lives. And in there, there was something that surprised me, something that I had never thought of before. He said this, uh, you know, he's teaching all these people who are aiming at going into ministry and doing these different things and becoming Bible communicators, and, and he's saying to them, experience doesn't necessarily make you better. And then he goes on to say this. This was the part that really surprised me. He said, in fact, sometimes it makes you worse. Going through life doesn't necessarily make you a better person. In fact, it has the potential to make you worse, he said, but evaluated experience. That's the sweet spot. That's the place where you can grow, where you can become wise. So most of us would say, hey, I think if I want to become wise, I just live life. And, and the book of Proverbs says, not exactly. It's something that you have to pursue. In fact, if you look at verses 1 to 4, it's littered with verbs. It's saying there's a lot of things that you, my son, need to do if you want wisdom. You're not just going to wake up one day and it's going to be on your doorstep. It's not just going to happen to you. You actually need to intentionally pursue it. You need to work at it. You need to search for it like it's a treasure. Let's look at these one at a time. The first thing it says is you have to receive these words of instruction. Look at verse 1. My son, if you accept my words... It's a weird way to put it. It's saying, not just hear my words, you have to accept them. I've got two kids, seven and nine. There are times where I'm talking and I'm thinking to myself, I know they can hear me. I, the audible stuff is coming out of my mouth and I know their ears work. But as I'm talking, I'm kind of going, I'm not sure that they are receiving what I'm saying. And sometimes I have to think, okay, how can I say this different? Because I understand, based off of their body language, they're not tracking with me. They're not accepting my words. And i got to take a different approach. And that's true of my kids. It's true of some of you as well. We need to become a people who accept God's words. My son, if you accept my words, it's the, it's the listening with the intention to obey. That's what it means to accept the words from the wise father. It's listening and going, okay, what does that require from me? I'm going to hear what is being communicated to me, the teaching, the instructions. But my, my goal then would be to receive that, to accept that, and then to think through, how can I live this thing out? So in the New Testament, it puts it like this. James writes a letter to the church, and he says, don't, he says when you hear the word of God, don't be a mere listener and so deceive yourself. Do what the Bible says. I'm paraphrasing, but James was saying there's a danger to looking at the Bible and to hearing what the Bible has to say and not have, where, where you don't have any intention of actually obeying what it's calling you to do. And James says that's ridiculous. It's like a person looking in the mirror, looking at their own face, and then they leave that mirror and they forget what they look like. If you encounter the word, but you don't accept what God is saying, that's actually foolishness. There's one, that's one of the reasons why, uh, as leaders here, we, we've been talking a lot about the importance of small group ministry and the emphasis that we're putting on small groups discussing the sermons and applying the sermons. 
It's not because I think I'm so awesome. I'm not sitting around going, these messages are killer. These people need to get to work on it. In fact, there's been a lot of self-doubt lately where I'm like, oh. But what we believe is you don't need more information. Most of us have plenty of information. What we need is to figure out how to accept what we've already received to accept and to apply and to begin to tease out what does it look like to live my life according to what I've heard? How can I apply the truth of the gospel to my real life situation? So first off, my son, accept my words. Secondly, we need to store up those words inside of us. Look at the second half of verse one. It says, store up my commands within you. So the word the instruction, the, the teaching from wisdom itself needs to become resident with, inside of us. It needs to become a feature of who we are. I love how Spurgeon put it when he was talking about John Bunyan. That's confusing because I'm talking about an old dead Baptist preacher talking about an older dead Puritan pastor. But he said, John Bunyan, if you poked him, if you pricked him, he would bleed the Bible. His blood was bibline. I don't even think that's a real word, but it, it gets the point across. He says, John Bunyan was so immersed in Scripture that if you were to poke him, Bible would spill out. And I can say from reading Pilgrim's Progress, that's kind of true. Pilgrim's Progress is a book that John Bunyan wrote where he tells an allegory about Christian on his way to the heavenly city. It's the story about Christianity. And my favorite version, I loaned to a student, and they gave me back a different version, and I'm still upset about it. My version was the old one that had all of the footnotes at the bottom. So on every page, nearly every page in the book, there would be about a third of the page covered in footnotes that were all the verses, the places in the Bible that Bunyan was alluding to in his story. And I loved that version because I could look down and go, oh yeah, oh yeah. I remember that part. This is telling us that if we want to be wise people, we have to store up the commands within us. A couple things come to mind. Number one is we should probably be memorizing Scripture. I'm not good at it. Two of our elders have worked for years at Bible memorization. Go to them. Ask them, what do you do? But we need to become people who have verses that we have committed to memory So that when we're cruising through life and things get hard, we're able to recall those and bring those forward and go, this is a word from the Lord for this particular moment. And I don't have to pull my phone out to get this. I don't have to pull my phone out to retrieve this. It's a part of who I am now. Bible memorization. The second thing, Bible saturation. Get in the Bible so much that it becomes a part of who you are. So that you begin to intuitively respond to the world in a way that reflects what God has said in his word. How are we doing at that? How could you become so immersed in scripture that it becomes a part of who you are? For me personally, my parents got me a one-year Bible. I think I was 16 years old when I first received it. And I didn't start out well with it, but eventually it became the habit that I have every day. So from about age 18 to now 40, almost 41, for 22 years, the main thing that I've done to interact with God in the scriptures is read the one-year Bible 15 minutes a day, every day. And that has been such a life-giving, transformative practice. 
I was thinking about it this morning. If I had to choose between my Bible degree or my theology degree and reading the one-year Bible, one-year Bible every time, I would always say that was way more significant and way more valuable. So if we're going to become a people who are immersed in Scripture so that it becomes a part of who we are, so that we're storing up these commands within us, my question for you is, how are you going to do that? Like, that's not just an intention we should have. We, we should probably match that up with a strategy. How are you going to become immersed in the Bible, storing it up so that it is within you? Well, we're also to listen to these words. It says in verse 2, turn your ear to wisdom. Now, this isn't just accepting. Now, it's reminding us that there's a way that we can actively listen to the word versus hearing it without actually hearing it. Remember how the Lord would say, he'd be preaching a sermon, Jesus would be preaching a sermon, and he'd say, those who have ears, let them hear. And if you looked around at the crowd, you'd go, hmm, they all have ears, right? Everyone has ears here. But Jesus was pointing to something beyond mere hearing. He was pointing to listening with faith. And he said, there are some who will hear the message and they will hear the voice of God. They will hear it in a way where other people who also heard the message do not hear it. When we're thinking about becoming wise people, we should be thinking about how can I listen with ears of faith? How can I turn my ear toward what God is doing? So I'm no longer just looking at the Bible or listening to a sermon and going, hmm, am I comprehending this? No, I'm thinking and I'm asking, how is this informing my faith in Christ? Am I listening with ears of faith to receive this, not, not merely as information, but as the word of the Lord himself? Listen to the teaching. We also need to apply it. Look at verse 2. It says, apply your heart to understanding. Apply the truth of what you're hearing in the scripture to the depth of your heart. You need to be somebody who is being transformed even to the level of your emotions. Um... We don't just want information. We don't just want to transfer information to where you're like, you know, I, I learn a lot about the Bible at church. We actually want the Bible to become something that is changing your heart. Uh, this is, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. Our, Tim Keller said it recently, so he was referencing Martin Lloyd-Jones, but I think it was in uh, jo Martin Lloyd-Jones's Preaching and Preachers. He said, <laughs> you, this will be funny. He said, I... I don't like when people take notes when I'm preaching. And some of you are like putting your notebook down right now. Um, he said, I don't, I don't like that because, and I, by the way, I'll explain how I feel about this. But he said, if, if people are taking notes while I'm preaching, he says, I'm not doing my job because you don't take notes when you're worshiping. And what he was trying to communicate was when you're dealing with God, you're not sketching out information on a notepad. You're falling on your face. Personally, I'm okay with you guys taking notes, but I hope that every time I preach, there's a moment where you just kind of set your notebook down on your lap and you're like, whew, God is good. I hope it becomes an experience of worship at least at some point during every message. But we need to learn to apply the truth of what we're hearing to the depth of our hearts being transformed from the inside out. We need to ask for this kind of wisdom. Look at verse 3. It says, Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, 
We need to be praying that God would give us this gift of His wisdom. We need to be praying that God would give us insight and understanding. I was uh, auditing my prayer journal, and the most consistent prayer for the last five years since we launched the McChesney Park campus, the most consistent prayer that I have prayed is, Lord, please give me wisdom. You want to know why? Because I'm out of my depth. I'm leading a congregation, and I'm trying to, I'm wrestling with God. Who's sufficient to do this? And I'm not sitting around thinking, I got this all figured out. We're going to be just fine. No, I'm saying, God, I need your wisdom or we're all in trouble. I could make a mess of this whole thing real quick. So we need to be the people who are saying, Lord, I'm crying out for insight and understanding. I want you to give me what only you have, the wisdom of God. So the first thing that we find here in verses 1 to 4 is how to get wisdom. And the thing that we should underline is we work at it. We go after it. We search it out. Look at verse 4. If you look for it as silver and search for it as a hidden treasure. Imagine with me, just kind of playing this out in my mind this morning. Imagine John, the previous owner of this building, calls me up and says, Hey, Cor, I forgot to mention this. Uh, I actually buried a million dollars in the back 40 of that property. It's yours now. Okay, if he called me up this morning and said that, what would we be doing this afternoon? Digging. Yeah, come on, guys, let's go find this a million bucks. If we understand what wisdom is, then we should consider it more valuable than silver and gold and anything else. If we understand how significant wisdom is, we should feel like that will become the main pursuit in my life. There are a lot of other things that I give time and energy and money to and my devotion to, but the top shelf, the thing that is most valuable is to receive from God his wisdom. Search for it. Search for it as for hidden treasure. May we become a people who are working hard to ensure that we're growing in our wisdom. Secondly, what does it do for you? Verses 5 to 11, well, the argument goes like this. If you do this, if you search for wisdom, if you go after it, if you uh, accept my words, if you call out for insight, if you look for it as silver and gold, verse 5, then, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. If you go after this thing, guess what will happen? You'll get it. If you go after wisdom, God is delighted to give it to you. You will understand the fear of the Lord, which is the main premise of the entire book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you're going after it, God will grant you this incredible gift. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. God will give you his wisdom, and it'll be right off of his lips. One of the commentators points out this wisdom, then, is intimately wed to the scriptures. It's from God's mouth. We don't just sit around, close our eyes, and go, okay, God, put some impression on me. Make me feel something. Make me feel wise. No, we actually believe that God speaks to us, and we hear his voice through his word. I love how John Piper once put it. He said, if you want to hear God's voice, read your Bible out loud. There it is the voice of God. We need to become a people who are receiving from God this wisdom that comes directly from his mouth. And he blesses us then. Look at verse 7. He holds success in store for the upright. He has success. Anybody I've ever talked to wants to be successful. 
It's just a feature of the human experience. We all want to be successful. Most of us, however, are trying to do a workaround to get to it ourselves without having to deal with God. We want success, but we're not sure we want to go through all the trouble of dealing with a holy and righteous God. Look at what the text says, though. God holds success for those who pursue his wisdom. He will give us success. He holds success in store for the upright. If we want to be successful people, again, this is the most ambitious thing that we could do. Go after the wisdom of God and and recognize that he will bestow upon us his own wisdom. Look at verses 7 and 8. He's a shield to those whose walk is blameless, for he guards the course of the just and protects the way of his faithful ones. He is taking care of us. And I know that if you were to evaluate faithful people in real time, it often looks like we're suffering and losing. It often looks like maybe God's not keeping up his end of the bargain, but at the end of the day, what we come to find out, both from God's revelation in Scripture, but in real time as well, is that God is looking after those who are his. He's guarding them. He's protecting them. He's a shield to them. And then here's another feature of what we get. It gives us this ethical beauty. People who are wise are people that you want to be around. People who are pursuing wisdom and receiving from God, they're the kind of people who are living beautifully in the world. Look at verse 9. It says, then, when you get this, then you will understand what is right and just and fair. Every good path. We all want this. This is the kind of world that we want to live in, a world that's marked by being right and just and fair. Now, we often disagree on how to get there, but here's what the Bible says. Those who are wise receive this. Those who are wise begin to live in a way that is right and just and fair. We actually begin to become like God. We're walking in every good path. I was um, praying this morning and I was thinking about this. If, If there was one thing that I could achieve in this life, this is it. Becoming this kind of person. This would be more significant than leading a church well or doing anything else. I want to be the kind of husband and dad and pastor who who is marked by doing what is right and just and fair. May we all pursue that. Verse 10 says, For wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. It begins to take up residence within you. It'll enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to you. Verse 11 Discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. Here, there are all these benefits that's being laid out for us here. If you pursue it, you will receive it. If you receive it, you will have all of these good and precious gifts from God. So pursue it and obtain it from God himself. And God will bless you with all these things. Third, what, what it protects you from, verses 12 to 19. It protects you from... Wicked people and unfaithful people. And I think these are categories. They actually will travel with us through the entire book of Proverbs. You've got wicked individuals and adulterous women, and they become, I think, categories for us to consider. So the wicked men, we're we're spared from them. Look at verse 12. Wisdom will save you from the ways of wicked men. We found out in chapter 1, the way of wicked men is really enticing. My son, do not be enticed by sin. Do not join in the way of the wicked. We know when we watch sin unfolding, we begin to think, that looks like a lot of fun. If I go that way, 
I get a lot of things that I would really enjoy immediately. The book of Proverbs is designed to say, don't be so fast there. Don't go that way because that ends in calamity. They have left the straight path to walk in dark ways. They delight in doing wrong and rejoice in the perverseness of evil. Their paths are crooked and are devious in their ways. The way of the wicked is foolish because it leads to destruction. It's, it's a disregard for God and how God has made the world, and they're going their own way without any reference to him, and it doesn't end well for them. Because, listen, they're, they're not operating within the world in the way that God has made it to work. Um, I used to have a CD player. If you're older, you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, what's that? It's like coasters that you could put into, into a little slot in your car, and it would play music. So I had one of those, but my kids found a quarter in the car, and they're like, hmm, this fits perfectly in here. So they took a quarter and slid it in to the CD player. And all of a sudden, I'm like, great, this will never work again. Now you have used this device in a way that it was not designed for. So to repair it would be taking it out, dismantling it, trying to get the the coin outside, you know, out from inside of it, and then hoping that the internal components are okay. That's what sin is like. In the moment, it is really gratifying. I can't remember exactly, but I do. My son Harrison has this super goofy grin, and he just gets really proud of himself when he does certain things. So I, I imagine it like this I imagine him pushing it in there and then looking at me like, Look what I did, Dad. Because he's just like, that was super gratifying. It, it fit perfect. It's like this was made for this. But then you realize, no, no, no. That is not what that is for. That's what sin is. We look at the world and we go, I'm going to do it like this. And I think that'll be really fun. And then we come to find out we are going against the design that God has made. And it might be gratifying at first, but eventually it leads to calamity. So we are protected from joining in the way of the wicked. We're also protected from the unfaithful woman. Look at verse 16. Wisdom will save you also from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words, who's left the partner of her youth and ignored the covenant she made before God. It's telling us that there's a way that is unfaithful. And again, I think this is a category. There will be specific things that we talk about in future times together uh, regarding sexuality and marriage and those sorts of things. But, but for today, I just want us to think through, marriage is a big deal to God. In fact, the Bible starts with a wedding ceremony, page two. The Bible also ends with a wedding ceremony on the very final pages. The Bible is filled with this concept of marriage, and God hijacks that and says, human marriage really is a picture or a parable of what God is doing. He is drawing people to himself in a covenant relationship. In fact, in the book of Hosea, there's a prophet who is told, you should marry Gomer. And she, they, they are married, and then Gomer goes off and, and goes away with other lovers and is unfaithful to her husband. And God says to Hosea, that's what it's like to be me, to have married somebody, a people who want nothing to do with me to have done everything required to obtain the bride and then to have the bride go off and do whatever she wants. And he says, Hosea, I want you to go and redeem her. 
and I want you to renew your covenant to her. I want you to remarry her. And what God is doing is he's saying, this is what I am doing in the good news of the gospel. I am redeeming a people to myself. I am renewing my covenant to an unfaithful people. And, and that's the good news of the gospel, that God does that for us. But he then holds marriage in super high regard because he says, this is my design. This is my desire. This is how I've made marriage to work. And this is supposed to be this beautiful, harmonious thing that people experience. And they experience something of God by being married or by observing a healthy marriage. But here we're, we're told that there's an adulterous woman who has a disregard for her covenant that she made before God. And it's reminding us that it is possible to pay no attention to who God is and what he's done for us. And it tells us that if we're wise, we are saved from her. But if we're unwise, it's like spiritual suicide. And I've chosen that phrase very carefully because it reflects the text. Look at verse 18. Surely her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain the paths of life. To go her way, to be unfaithful, is to lead down the pathway to the spirits of the dead, to lead down a path to death itself. This is a stark warning for us. We need to hold marriage in high regard because it is something that God has designed and made, and we need to understand how it should function and how we, those of us that are married, can be in healthy marriages that reflect the goodness of God. But we also need to understand that there is a threat to our spiritual well-being, and it is covenant unfaithfulness to God. And if we go down this path, it results in disaster. So what can it protect us from? It can protect us from folly. Wisdom can protect us from putting ourselves in harm's way. Finally, here's why it matters. Verses 20 to 22. The reason why wisdom matters so much is because it results in fellowship with God. It says in verse 20, thus you, the wise person, the wise son, the one who's receiving the words of wisdom, thus you will walk in the way of the good and keep to the paths of the righteous. You live according to God's design, it will be good for you. And then it says, you will live in God's land. Those who are rebellious, those who are wicked will not. But you, if you do this, you will live in God's land. Verse 21, for the upright will live in the land and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land and the unfaithful will be torn from it. Okay, this is lost on almost all of us. Who cares? What's the land about? I mean, we live in the Midwest, which is cold. I didn't know it was going to snow today. That's a surprise, but it could happen anytime, right? This is where we live. Um, we also, most of us live in Illinois and our taxes are really high and there's some things that we can grumble about quite easily. And we can think, man, I'm very close to that border. Uh, why don't I just hop on the other side? So we live in a land that most of us are like, mm, take it or leave it, right? Like if something were better and was offered to me, I'd probably go in that direction. That's how most people feel in this region from my experience. This is telling us that those who are walking in wisdom get to live in the land right over our heads, right? What is, what is he saying? He's pointing to something that is glorious. There's a concept running through the Bible where God is saying, those who are faithful to me will live in a land. And what he said initially 
He said to a guy named Abraham, I'm going to take you and I'm going to relocate you in this beautiful land. You're going to leave what you know and you're going to go to a land that I'm going to show you. I'm going to gift that to you by grace and you're going to reside there. The people are going to live there. And that's what this proverb is talking about, is saying those who are faithful will live in that land. And so right on, they're like, this is, a, this is good news for us. But the land actually points beyond itself. Even in the Bible itself, it comes to be this thing that people are like, look, the land is great, but it's pretty fickle, right? They get in, and then they're always worried that they're going to lose it until they get arrogant. They're like, we're the people of God. We'll never lose this land. And then they get ejected. So the land is pretty fickle. And what we find out is that the Bible tells us the land that God is giving to his people, it's not just geography. It's not just a plot of land. It's not just a place that they can call home. It's him. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. We'll put it up on the screen here. This is the account of Abraham where God said, I'm going to bless you with a land. So by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, he obeyed and went. He left his homeland. He goes to this new land and he didn't know where he was going, even though he did not know where he was going. Verse 9, by faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs along with him of the same promise. So they're living in the promised land, and they're living there by faith, but they're living in tents like foreigners in a strange land. And then it goes on to say this, he lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose maker and architect is God. He got the land, and he had the good sense to go, hmm, I don't think this is all that God had in store. There's something better. And by faith, he's living in the promised land, but he's going, there's a place, there's a, there's a town, a city, whose architect and maker is God. And that's the city I want to live in. In other words, faith, the faith of Abraham, the wisdom of Abraham, if you will, allowed for him to look beyond the little plot of land that he was camping on and to look to God and say, one day, I'm going to live with him. You see, the wise person recognizes the promise that is built into the fabric of the Scripture. It's not just that God is going to bless us with material provisions. The biggest thing that God is doing is he's bringing us to himself. Wisdom leads us to see the good news of the gospel, Jesus Christ dying in our place on a cross, the righteous one for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. 1 Peter 3.18, what Jesus did by his perfect obedience, his righteous life, and then his willingness to sacrifice that life on our behalf is he was making a way for us to go into the land and to never have to worry about losing it ever again. To go into the city whose architect and maker is God himself. That is an incredible promise that God has given us. It's an incredible invitation if you've not received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, he is extending himself to you today. May you look at him and say what the apostles said, Jesus Christ has become for us the wisdom of God, our holiness, our righteousness. He is the wisdom that we're pursuing. So we chase after him. We search for him like a treasure. We receive from him all of the promises of God, all of the blessings and the benefits. He protects us. 
He saves us. Wisdom will save you. And we then receive life with God. Believe in him. Trust in him. Receive him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for wisdom. We thank you for the way that wisdom leads us to Christ. He is wisdom itself. He's Savior, saving us from the folly of sin, from the danger resident there, from the death that it will lead us to. He is saving us from all those things. May we place our faith in him and receive salvation today. And may we remind each other of this beautiful gift that he has given us and encourage each other to walk in the path of righteousness, doing what is right and good and just, reflecting his beauty and his character to a watching world. May we do that, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.